Let's try to go to Acts chapter number, uh, give me just a second, Acts chapter 8, I believe. That's where we're going to start tonight. And uh, let me get things moving here. Okay, Acts chapter number 8. And we're going to take just a moment to kind of go back over briefly a few things. We only have a few notes to go through tonight to finish up. And a few people have been out for a few weeks, so we want to try to bring everybody up to speed. Uh, Being prayer, we've got a lot of folks uh, missing tonight. Miss Evelyn called, and uh, her and Brother Norm have had a rough day today. Brother Norm had to get a shot in his eye uh, today, and that's never a fun thing, so pray for him. He's um, really battled some things today. And then uh, Brother Harold's out of town uh, on business this week. Linda Craig is out, still sick, and they're back to thinking that possibly she has... Um, the uh, rheumatoid arthritis in her lungs again, so they're trying to go through some things with a specialist on that, and so pray for that. So we've got a lot of our folks <clears throat> that are out tonight, and so pray for them uh, that God will bless there. Acts chapter number 8, Acts chapter number 8, we're going to read just a verse that we started with a couple of weeks ago uh, in verse number, um, we're going to back up probably to verse number 26 or so and read down through around verse uh, 31, 32, somewhere in there. The writer of Hebrews writes, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot, And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and uh, said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Uh, The place of the scripture where he read was he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And, of course, we know that to be uh, Isaiah chapter number 53. In verse number 34 here uh, of chapter 8 of the book of Acts, And the eunuch answered, Philip, and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophetess of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Father, we come to you tonight. I pray that you'll bless the lesson and encourage us, strengthen our faith. And I pray that you'll help us to uh, sharpen our axes in the area of uh, soul winning, that we can be better and uh, if more effective and do better at uh, winning folks to Christ and sharing the gospel with them. And so, Father, we do ask that you would help and guide us uh, through this study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several things I want to mention about Acts chapter number 30. Uh, I, first of all, the Holy Spirit comes to Philip in verse number 26, verse number 27. And he tells Philip, he says, I want you to go. And look what the Bible says here in verse number 27. Uh, and he arose and went. Uh, I've put a lot of emphasis in the last year of preaching on the urgency that there is in Christian circles of being led by the Holy Spirit of God. When it comes to leading a soul to Christ, there can be nothing more important than being led by the Holy Spirit of God in leading someone to Christ. And so that's very, very important. Also, I want you to notice that the Bible says when Philip was told to go and uh, to this eunuch, uh, he arose and went. And so as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us and places someone on our heart to share the gospel with, which I hope is rather often, 
then we need to also be submitted and yielded to what the Holy Spirit wants and be obedient to Him in this aspect of sharing the gospel. And uh, now I'm going to real quick run through. We're not going to take a lot of time to comment because we're going back through the notes so everybody that has been gone the last few weeks can kind of see this. Um, but I want to emphasize this. We spent some time, a lot more time on it last week that we've got to be very careful that we do not focus our attention on getting them to say the sinner's prayer. Uh, I believe that that sinner's prayer is important. But the problem is a lot of times we knock on the door, we introduce ourselves, we go through the Romans road in about six or eight minutes, uh, asking them the questions, getting quick yes or no answers from them. And many times they're answering because... They are trying to get rid of you as quickly as possible. I hate to say it that way, but you know I'm right on that. When somebody comes to my door, I usually do the same type thing. If it's a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness, I just quickly find a way to get them out, and, and I'm busy doing other things, and uh, hopefully that won't be the case anymore. That's what I've always done in the past. But we know how it is where people are trying to get rid of you. And the problem is we get down to the end of our presenting the, the plan of salvation and we ask them if they would like to be saved. And if they say, yes, we would like to be saved, we say, okay, then uh, I'm going to pray with you and just repeat what I'm saying. And the next time somebody comes and knocks on the door about a month later because there was no understanding and no conviction that was involved in the whole process, the the soul winner may say, do you know for sure if you died right now that you'd go to heaven? Are you saved? And the man or woman may say, yes, I'm saved. Well, how do you know that you're saved? Well, there was a soul winner that came by about a month ago, and I prayed a prayer with him. That man is lost because there was no act of faith involved in it. He just simply played a, prayed a prayer. We're no different than the Muslims when that comes to pass. They, they make converts by getting them to say, Allah is God. If they can get somebody to say that, they say, okay, you're a Muslim now. And I'm afraid that sometimes when we go soul winning, we get through the plan of salvation, get to a prayer, say, you know, here's a prayer, and mean it from your heart. And we usually add that in there. But we give them a prayer to say, and they rely on their salvation being earned by saying a prayer. When we talk about leading a soul to Christ, the idea is that we uh, lead them to an understanding. Let me see if I'm at the, where am I at here? Okay, make sure I get on the right slide. There we go. All right, so we, we want to make sure that we lead someone to Christ. And it's a little bit different than just saying, okay, we want to try to win them to Christ. The, the idea here that, that is given in Acts chapter number 8, in <clears throat> verse number 30, Philip comes to the Ethiopian eunuch, and there's conviction involved. The conviction is Ethiopian eunuch comes to Philip and says, I've heard I need to be baptized, I know I need to be baptized, and he says, so he asks this question, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And uh, Peter, uh, well, actually at the beginning, Peter says, understandest thou what thou readest? And notice what the eunuch says. He says, how can I accept some man what? Guide me. What does it mean to guide? Could we say it means to lead? We are to guide them to Christ, to an understanding of Christ. So we're to guide them and to make sure that they have an understanding. <clears throat> what are they to have an understanding of? The gospel. 
the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to know some things. There's six things. We've broken them down on the sheet we've given to you, six categories. Now, I will say this. This is a framework. This is not a, a one, two, three, A, B, C, repeat after me. But there are six main areas that I believe people need to understand in order to be saved. If they don't understand that they're a sinner, then how in the world are they ever going to trust Christ as their Savior? What do they have to be saved from? So they need to understand that they're a sinner. We gave you that the first week. I'm not opposed to the Romans Road. I think the Romans Road is a great starting point. Romans 3.10 um, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not run. One, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, Romans 5.12, uh, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And, and I'm, I don't have any problem with using the Romans road. The problem I feel like sometimes is we use only the Romans road, and we do not give an understanding of the full gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to have some other verses ready and available to us. I'm not saying you have to use all these verses all the time. Depending on the situation and as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us in the conversation, He will help us to recall and put things into our minds of things that ought to be said and the verses that ought to be said. In Matthew chapter number 15, there's a very good example of that. When Jesus tells His disciples, take no thought of what you're going to say when you come before these people, He said the Holy Spirit will guide you and give you the words that you need to say. And I'm not saying that we ought not be prepared. Uh, my, my, what I'm trying to get at is we need to be workmen that need not to be ashamed. And so we ought to study and learn and make this, uh, this, this ought to be the driving force of what we look for in our lives. Um, yeah, let, let, let's think of it in terms of this. Uh, I used to do some, a little bit of woodworking in my garage years ago. And I made some little shelves, decorative shelves and little ornate things out of wood. And uh, I, I worked at it, I labored at it, I never got good at it, but I enjoyed it. It was kind of a release for me, it was a good hobby. But there are some men that, and, and some ladies out there that are what we would call master workmen when it comes to woodworking. Uh, maybe even in metalworking, and uh, maybe in quilting there are folks, and sewing there are ladies that master the skills that are required for that because they... They love it so much and they have such a heart for that that they, they literally dedicate their life and their energy and their effort into learning it. Uh, for me, flying airplanes. Uh, I've spent hundreds and probably at this point thousands of hours studying about aviation and learning how to fly airplanes because it's something I love and it's something I enjoy. When it comes to soul winning, it ought to be something that we pursue after fervently. We want, to be, we want to be well prepared to share the gospel. We want it to be natural in our conversation, not something that we struggle with and be like, well, I, I can't, okay, what was that verse pastor said the other day? No, 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 no. We want this stuff to be so in, in us and, and in our hearts and minds that when we talk to people and with the aid of the Holy Spirit, He brings those things to the surface and it just becomes natural. So a couple other verses we can use that deal with sin. John chapter 7 and verse number 7. Uh, Romans chapter 20 verse 14. Romans 21, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 20 verse 14. Revelation 21 verse number 8. Romans 5, and I didn't give you this one the other day, but Romans 5, 12. Showing and equating that the death that is spoken of here in Scripture is talking about 
the second death, that is death and separation from God, and according to the book of Revelation, in a place called the lake of fire. And uh, this is the second death the Bible speaks of. So they need to understand, first of all, they're a sinner. We know that, right? If a man doesn't understand he's a sinner, then what do you do? Uh, anybody ever come across somebody that says, I don't think I've ever sinned? Okay, a couple verses you might help might help you. You got a pen? All right. Brother Keith, can you run that back to her? I'll give Miss Sandy give me one. Okay. Okay, 1 John 1, 8. If somebody says, if somebody says, I don't think I'm a sinner, even after you show them those verses, a couple ones that might help. 1 John 1, 8 and Romans 3, 4. Okay, I'm not going to take time to read those to you because we've already gone over these a couple weeks ago. Um, but you can, you can write them in your notes, look them up. Romans 3, 4. All right? Um, 1 John 1, 8 says, uh, talks about, and I can't quote it exactly, if a man says uh, he has no sin, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, if a man says he has no sin, the truth is not in him. Uh, he lieth, and the truth is not in him. Something to that effect. I can't quote it exactly verbatim. Okay, but uh, again, showing us that even if we say, "Hey, I don't have any sin," even that is a lie, and therefore we've sinned. Even if we hadn't sinned before that, uh, we just did. So, um, so you can use that. Now, let me just caution you on this, and I've, I've talked to a few people about this. It's not something to become argumentative about with someone. We are not sent to debate. Okay, we are not sent to debate. But we are sent to declare. What's the best method of reaching someone who's perhaps an atheist or an agnostic or believes something entirely different than our our way of thinking? The best uh, thing you can do is... Quote scripture to them. Don't come to them with the vain philosophy of man's, uh, the vain philosophy of man's deceit, I think is the way it's worded. Um, Paul talks about the idea that he didn't come in the power of the flesh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible says that the word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It says that his word will not return void. Uh, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. God's word is a powerful tool. It's the sword of the Spirit. And it can pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And so, uh, use the Word of God. If the Word of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God does not show them the truth of what is being said, then chances are they're not going to come to the saving knowledge of Christ in that meeting. No amount of human philosophy or reasoning is going to change their mind. Not to the area of faith. So we've got to be careful of that. All right? The second area is we need to show... The, the sacrifice that was needed uh, in order for there to be forgiveness of sin, the sacrifice that Christ made on Calvary. And so we gave you a bunch of verses on that. You should already have them written on your paper. Even if you weren't here, I think I just handed out a bunch of them that had verses already on them, so these should already be there. I may give you one or two verses along the way that are not on your notes, uh, and that's fine. By the way, let me just look up here for just a second. Uh, my goal is, I've, I've three-hole punched these papers. I, I would encourage you to get a notebook. You can get them cheap at someplace. Walmart, I, I don't mean to promote Walmart, but uh, Walmart, Target, uh, Home Depot, Office Depot, some, some depot, Train Depot. I don't know. Uh, find you a three-ring notebook somewhere. 
And what I, what I envision, there's so many things that have come up through this study that we're going to be dealing with in the, in the weeks to come uh, that I would like to see us continue to just add and add and add and add to this notebook, uh, a, a whole notebook full of resources. I envision a notebook that's an inch thick with resources we can use to talk to almost anybody that's out there about their beliefs and how to bring them to Christ and how to share the gospel with them. And that we, can be, that we can be fervent, we can give all of our energy, our talent, our effort into studying how to be a master uh, at sharing the gospel. How we can be very well prepared workmen that need not to be ashamed. Okay? So they need to understand the sacrifice. There's a bunch of verses there that I've given to you that certainly can be used. Okay, again, we're in Romans. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Again, nothing wrong with using those verses. Um, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing wrong with using those verses, but there's a lot more there that can be used, and some of them may fit a particular person's situation or help them understand it better uh, than maybe the Romans 5, 8 verse. So, uh, again, uh, just giving you a resource. Under each of these headings, if you come across in your personal reading in, in Scripture verses that you think, boy, that would be a really good one, to put under this category, go find your notebook and write it in there. In fact, keep this notebook handy when you're reading your Bible because you'll come across verses that will be helpful. Okay, uh, these, This is a, a bare minimum. Uh, there's so much more in Scripture that can be used in this, and, and as we find them along the way, we'll continue adding. All right, the shedding of blood. They need, to under, oh, they need to understand the shedding of blood. Let me back up here. I went a little too far. The shedding of blood. Uh, they need to understand that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that covers our sin. And so uh, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also his blood. Several years ago, when I was a, a young man, younger man, <laughs> I guess I'm still young. When I was a younger man, there became a big debate. Was it the death of Christ that was necessary or the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was necessary? And boy, there came a big debate. A couple people, uh, I know John MacArthur years and years and years ago said, the blood doesn't matter, it's the death. Uh, I'd, I'd take issue with him on that particularly because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. And when you understand what took place at Calvary, and if you don't understand that, uh, I think we need to study this and know this. I have taught on this before in this church, but I'm going to go through it very briefly about this. If you'll remember, and I'm not going to take time to turn to all the verses tonight, but you can read this week and study it out this week and see if I'm not accurate on this. The Bible says that there are things on this earth that are shadows of things that are not made by man's hands that are in the heavens. And he's speaking here of the Old Testament tabernacle and later on the Old Testament temple. Uh, those, those temples, the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat, those types of things are shadows of what are actually in heaven. There is an actual mercy seat in heaven. Aren't we glad for that tonight? If you'll remember when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, the very first day of the week, Mary comes running into the garden, comes to the garden uh, to see the Lord Jesus Christ. She finds out he's not here for he's risen and the stone is rolled away. One of the gospels records an encounter between Mary and Christ. A man standing there that she thinks is the gardener uh, says, whom seekest thou? And she tells him, and said, if you know where they've taken him, please tell me. And he says, Mary. And she immediately knows who he is. That tells me that 
his glorified body, his resurrected body, did not look like it did before his crucifixion. But she did have enough to recognize him. And uh, if you remember, what did he tell her? I, I mean, obviously, if you can imagine, this, Mary loves Jesus. She sees him alive and well. She just saw him crucified three days ago, buried in a tomb. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't say that she was running to hug him. But could you imagine or not? But what does Jesus tell her? He says what? Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. You remember that? That's important. Because then he appears to the disciples about just several hours later, probably 10, 12 hours later, in the upper room. You remember that? And when he appears to them in the upper room, what does he tell them? Put your hand in my side. Touch my hands. Well, what happened between the time he met Mary and the time he met his disciples? He went to heaven, took his own blood, and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. There was only one person worthy to do that. That would have been a high priest without spot or blemish. The reason Christ had to resurrect is there was, even if he had had his perfect blood spilt for the sacrifice, there would have not been a high priest worthy to carry the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The resurrection had to happen because not only was he the sacrifice, but he was also our high priest. Hebrews chapter 6, 8, 7, or 7, 8, 9. Go back and read those chapters and it will, boy, you'll, the, the light bulb will click on. You'll be like, wow, I never saw that before. He's my high priest. He took his own blood. Not the blood of calves and goats. And he went to the heavens and he sprinkled it on the eternal mercy seat. And the Bible says in Hebrews, once for all. That's important that we understand this. Because some people may say the blood was not necessary. Oh, yes, it was. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, I'm not saying when you're leading someone to Christ, you've got to go through that whole spiel and tell everything about that. But they do need to understand that the shedding of the Lord Jesus Christ's blood was critical to their salvation. It does help them to understand and to know that his blood was sprinkled on a mercy seat to cover our sin. All right, moving on. We got here last week, and I don't know why I am on... John 1, 12 there. But anyway, then we start dealing with the issue of salvation. Oh, let me get down here. The issue of salvation. It is by faith alone. Now, I'm going to say a few words about this. I'm going to expand on this a little bit more than we did last week. <clears throat> I'll give you just a moment to get caught up there. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that none of yourselves is the gift of God. Costs us nothing. But it wasn't cheap because it cost him everything. Uh, it's a gift. And we get the gift by faith. Now, I want to help you with something that if we can get this one thought in our minds, and uh, I have to give credit to Brother Harold for putting this into the wordage that we're going to use tonight. I, I've taught this over the years, but never quite the way that he worded it the other day that made a lot of sense. Really, there are only... Two belief systems in the world. Faith alone and faith plus works. It's either faith or works. If we can get that in our minds, then when we look around and say, okay, what, what's so special about Keith the Heights Baptist Church? What makes us think we're right 
and all of these other places are wrong. Because the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of works. It is the gift of God. Therefore, therefore shall no man be, or by the works of the law shall no man be justified. It wasn't the keeping of the law that saved us. It was trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on Calvary to give us salvation as a gift. It's trusting Him. Taking Him at His word. Saying, I believe that and I'm putting my faith in that. That's what I'm trusting in for my salvation. That's what salvation is. And we've got to explain that. And by the way, it's, it's difficult for me. I, I shared Sunday... Uh, there are even now some, some Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches, King James Version, soul winning Baptist churches that are in doctrinal error on some things. And it's very, very difficult for me to join hands in hands and arm in arm with people who, who add anything to faith. I heard a message just this week, and, and I know the fellow meant well, and I know he was, he, I know he didn't really probably mean what he said when he said it. But he, he brought up the idea of repentance in salvation. There's no doubt repentance is part of salvation. I look at it, and I, the way I can tell from Scripture, it's the opposite side of the coin of faith. If you think about it, when I turn to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've just turned from my faith in myself and the old nature, uh, the old man. You cannot put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ without there being a repentance. A repentance meaning a change of mind, a change of heart. I'm no longer following that and trusting that. I'm now trusting this. Diametrically opposed and exactly opposite of. That's repentance. But he added at the end of that statement, he said, if we don't forsake our sin, we cannot be saved. Wait a minute. Now he just added works. Do I have a desire to sin? I hope my, uh, my repentance has caused my heart to turn enough toward God that I have no desire to sin. But, my friend, we don't have to forsake our sin to be saved. God will take care of that through the sanctification process. Once we're saved, He's going to start working in us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Where grace or sin abounded, Romans chapter number 5 where, grace, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Why did there have to be grace while there was sin? What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So our desire ought to be changed. But if somebody says we have to forsake our sin in order to be saved, then we're adding works to it. We're saying we have to live a certain way in order to be saved. I'm thankful that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in us, and our whole attitude about sin changes, doesn't it? Now, that I'm thankful for. But I didn't have to forsake my sin on my side of it in order to gain salvation. I simply had to trust Him. That was it. And then He takes and makes a vessel out of me that is meet for the Master's use, worthy for the Master's use, clean vessel. So we've got to be careful of this. Uh, understanding that salvation is by faith and by faith alone. Now, a group comes along and they hold the faith, but they add some things to it. Sprinkling of babies. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come, probably a little bit tonight. 
uh, they've added faith. Well, you have to be saved and baptized. You have to trust Christ and be baptized. Well, we've added a work to salvation, haven't we? And I don't like the, the concept, and there's a concept floating around today of, you know what, let's come together and, uh, Brother Keith and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, uh, the idea of let's all come together and let's agree on what we can agree on, and the things we can't agree on, that'll be okay, but we can at least fellowship. Well, wait a minute. There's certain doctrinal things that are divisive and separating. And while I'll be friendly to, and I don't mind going out to lunch with somebody like that and being a friend to them, I'm not going to participate in their beliefs or their practices because they're not biblical and they're not of God. That's where a lot of the cults start working. They have a lot of things that look very good on the outside, but they have a little bit of error in them. By the way, what does the Bible say about a little leaven? A little leaven if, leaven if the whole lump, doesn't it? A little leaven, leaven if the whole lump. You take a, apple of rotten, a barrel of rotten apples and you throw a good apple in there, is that good apple going to make all them rotten apples good? What's going to happen? You know what? It, the rot is so bad, you could take an entire barrel of good apples and throw one rotten apple in it, and what happens? It's going to rot the whole barrel. Well, let's just all get along. And you know what? We may disagree on some points, but let's agree on what we can't agree on, and let's just all join together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. That, my friend, is, is, is where we, we make a mistake. I'm not saying we have to be mean or hateful to them. That that is not where I'm going. I have some dear friends that disagree doctrinally with me. And while I'll go to lunch with them, I'll even go to their house for their kids' birthday parties, I'm not going to go to their church and endorse what they're teaching. I can still be kind and gracious to them. But I must stand on the doctrine of God's Word. So we've got to understand these things. When we're leading someone to Christ, they need to learn and they must This is not just a verse on a track that we read quickly. They need to understand salvation is by faith alone through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what most people don't understand and cannot grasp? I've been studying the Mormons lately, trying to get some material together to teach some things for you. One of the things that the Mormons have a very, very difficult time grasping is the concept of grace. They don't understand it. Because grace puts it all on the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. Well, it's grace, but I, I, don't I have to do something too? And, and their teaching basically is, after I've done all I can, then I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're adding works to, to, to faith. And they can't grasp the concept of you don't have to earn it. You, you don't have to be so good before God accepts you. You just simply come to Him as you are. Aren't you thankful for that? Boy, I tell you, I am. You come as you are and say, Lord, I trust that. I believe that. He'll take care of the cleaning. Amen? He'll take care of changing the life, transforming us. So it's faith alone. We've got to understand that, and we've got to make sure when we're leading and helping them understand, the key here to understand, to guide them, How can I accept some man guide me? Let's guide them in this thing of faith. Let me show you from Scripture. Look at what the Bible says here about faith. And you take them to the verses of faith and salvation. All right? 
at this point, you might get to a point where you say, would you like to trust Christ as your Savior today? And if we've done well with them understanding and explaining to them, it's not going to be very hard for them to say, Lord, I trust you today. I'm putting my faith in you today, you alone, for my salvation. It's not going to be hard for them to do that. We won't have to do a repeat after me verse or prayer. They, they'll be at the point with conviction that they'll say, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. Well, I see it. It's just my faith. That's it. I want to do that. I want to put my faith in Him. Then when they pray, it's a whole lot different, isn't it? It's not just saying when that soul winner knocks on their door the next week or a month later, are you sure you're saved? Yes, I am. Why? They're not going to say because a guy came by and prayed with me. They're going to say because I realized I needed to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their salvation now is going to point where? To Jesus, not to a soul winner. So many people say, well, I'm saved because I prayed with this guy over here. <coughs> Where's Christ in all of that? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Where's Christ in all that? Well, that soul winner, he knocked on my door and spent 20 minutes sharing verses with me, and I prayed a prayer, and that's why I'm saved today. No, 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 no. You're saved because the Lord Jesus Christ has given you His Word, and you trusted it. You said, I believe that, and I'm going to put my faith in that. And that's what I'm trusting for my salvation. All right. Then we can deal with sealed, uh, being sealed under the day of redemption. The idea that the Holy Spirit comes in and seals us. <clears throat> this being a good idea of giving them eternal security, showing them that once we're saved, we're always saved. Uh, I believe this is critical. This may take place even still before the sinner's birth. If they're not at the point of understanding yet and realizing some things yet, they may still not be ready to say, Lord, I'm trusting you today. They may need to see that, hey, not only does he save me, but he keeps me saved. Day by day. doesn't matter. He continues to keep me saved. I'm sealed under the day of redemption. I can trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, moving on. That's where we left off last week. So I went over all that just to kind of bring everybody up to speed. Okay? So hopefully that helps. All right. <clears throat> the last thing I would leave them with is the fact that we become sons of God. And the fact that we are uh, adopted into his family. First Peter 1.23. We will take time to look at these verses real quick. So let's take a look at a few of them. Look with me if you will. First Peter 1. And uh, verse number 23. All right. <clears throat> Let's back up verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we have been born into the family of God. We've been born again, not by corruptible seed or the seed of man. We've been born by the word of God. We've got something that liveth and abideth forever. We have been born again. We are now the sons of God. All right. Uh, Galatians, oops, went too far. Galatians chapter 3. Oops, where am I at? Did I go too far? Yeah. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And again, there's, there's plenty of other verses of Scripture 
that we can deal with here. And I'll give you uh, a couple. Well, actually, yeah, I'll give you these three. And then there may be some others that we've come across here. All right, Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 26. <clears throat> For ye are all the children of God by what? By faith in Christ Jesus. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. These people, we need to under, they need to understand, when we get saved, we become a child of God. We become one of, their, one of His children. And we do that by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse number 12. John chapter 1, verse number 12. Can anybody quote that one? Some, this is a pretty familiar one. Some people may know it. Anybody know that one? If not, we'll read it. All right, let's look at it. John chapter 1, verse number 12. But as many as received him... There we go. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, if we have done our due diligence and, and worked and been sensitive to them, it's not about getting through the it's not about getting through the verses. It's not about going through the plan. It's not about the structure and the ABCs. We're trying to take a person who does not understand salvation and we're trying to guide them with Scripture, not, not with my thoughts or my, my ideas. We're trying to take Scripture and guide them to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to where when they look up, they say, He's it. That's it. That's what I've been missing. That's what I need. I must put my trust in Him and Him alone. Philip got done. And I want you to notice this. Some people will say, well, you know, you don't have to worry about them understanding. Just go through the verses as long as they pray, and then they'll learn more later on. <laughs> but I like what the Bible said back in Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 30. When it talks about Philip, it might be, I'm sorry, it might be a verse or two after that, but right in that range. The Bible says that when he said, understandest thou what thou readest, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I accept some man should show me or guide me? Uh, the Bible says that Peter went up to him and he began in the Scriptures where he was reading. You know what Peter did through the leading of the Holy Spirit? He was sensitive to what that man understood and what he did not understand. And he took him from where he was at and expounded the Scriptures from there on. And that's where the leading of the Holy Spirit will help and guide us in leading someone to Christ by understanding what their understanding is, knowing where they're at. You can tell usually by looking in their eyes, they're lost as a goose in a snowstorm. And if that's the case, slow down, go back, show them some other verses until the light bulb turns on. Oh, I see it. Yeah, there it is. That does say that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And if that be true, let me show you something else here now. But we go through only as they understand, as we lead them and guide them. I am fearful, and I'll be honest with you. I am scared to death and I'm heartbroken over folks that I believe that in my lifetime I have gone through the Romans road and I've led them in a prayer. They're going to die and go to hell one day. Because there was no understanding. There was no faith. 
And there's no way they can get saved without faith, can they? Dealing with young people, dealing with kids, we've got to be so careful. They need to understand what salvation is. I'm not saying that they've got to be able to exegete the Scriptures and have all the doctrines down, but they need to understand the simple plan of salvation. That they're a sinner. That Jesus was the sacrifice in their place for their sin. That He shed His own blood for them. That they need to trust Him by faith for their salvation. That the Holy Spirit will seal them and and keep them saved. And that they become the sons of God. Those six areas, it's that simple. What verses we use to convince and show them from Scripture and and, and help the Holy Spirit to convict their heart in these areas is, is irrelevant to the fact of them understanding those six things. And so I hope that will help you tonight. All right? Real quick, I've got a few more things I want to give you tonight real quick. We've got five minutes still. Are there any questions you have over the stuff we've dealt with so far? Anything at all? Okay? All right. Um, in preparation uh, in preparation for getting some things ready to teach, there's two, th- two, two branches I'm going to be going with some things in our church here over the next several months. One is on Wednesday nights we're going to continue to teach specifics of how do you lead a, a Mormon to Christ or what are some good things you can do to talk to a Mormon at least. What can you do to talk to a Jehovah's Witness? What can you do to talk to a Muslim? Um, we don't have a lot of Scientologists here in this area, but if they happen to come up on one of them. Uh, what about an atheist? What about an agnostic? What are some things we can use in Scripture? And Pardon me? Wiccan. We can do with, deal with that too. Um, and so we're going to be putting some material together that you can have, again, to keep in your notebooks, and things that are helpful. And what I've been studying as I'm studying these groups or I'm find, is that I'm finding people who were part of that group at some point and, and quite extensively a part of that group that finally realized the truth of God's Word and got saved And then they share their testimony, and they say, this is what it took for me to understand. I'd rather have somebody like that tell me what it took for them to understand Christ so that I can say, then that's what we'll use. Than for me to come out as a Baptist that's been a Baptist my whole life and say, here's what I think about Mormons and how we can lead in Christ. I'd rather a Mormon who used to be a Mormon that's now a Christian say, this is what opened my eyes. Uh, and so we'll give you those tools, okay? We'll give you that in written material. You can study it and learn it and know it and talk to them, or if you don't if you don't have the time and you can't remember that kind of stuff, keep your little notebook on your coffee table there in the living room. When they come knock on the door, say, hang on just a second. <laughs> I've got a few questions. That, could you answer these for me? <laughs> and let them answer them, uh, and that will help, okay? And we'll talk to you a little bit more about that. The other branch that I'm going off on, is because there's a growing concern of uh, a group of people. I shared a little bit with you all Sunday about it. A group of people. Uh, and by the way, I was preaching on being uh, teaching sound doctrine, being accurate. <laughs> and in the message, I, I got to a point where Peter talks about there's a more sure word of prophecy. And I knew where I was going with it, but for some reason I had it in my brain because it said, uh, he said, I was an eyewitness to the time when, when God said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And it says on the Mount of My Holiness after that, but I didn't catch that part when I was preaching Sunday. 
And I, in my mind, I just had in my mind that he was being baptized. That was not the point that, that he was referring to because he didn't even have disciples then. He was referring to the Mount of Transfiguration when God said that. So I wanted to correct that tonight. I said that in the message Sunday, and Brother Harold pointed out, I was like, as soon as he read the verse, I'm like, wait a minute. He didn't even have disciples by then. So I'm embarrassed about saying that in the service, but it was my mouth speaking before my head got there. So anyway, I wanted to correct that tonight. But um, we were dealing about this thing of uh, some churches and, and, that are teaching. And, and, and here's the thing I was sharing. Uh, if a Mormon came to our door or a Jehovah's Witness or a Wiccan, as Christians, the very moment we recognize who they are, there's a defense that goes up because we know the truth of Scripture. And we're already thinking, okay, what can I say to show them the truth of Scripture? Right? I mean, that, that ought to be the natural reaction. What I believe is more dangerous even than those groups right now is that there are a group of independent, they call themselves the new IFB, Independent Fundamental Baptists, that are King James Version, soul winning, and they are in doctrinal error, majorly in doctrinal error. And that, to me, is more dangerous to us than any other group. And here's why. Because they come looking just like us, talking just like us, using the same Bible as us, and believing on the surface the same way we believe until we get into the doctrines. And it's scary how many churches today are splitting in the last eight months from this movement and this group that's going around the, the America. Homes that are broken up, churches that are broken up. Um, and so another direction I'm going to be going on Sunday mornings uh, here in just a few weeks is we're going to begin going through doctrines based on the Word of God that we hold to. It's important that we know these things. I shared this a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I'm fearful that some people may have gotten the wrong idea about what I was trying to say by this. It's important that we know why we are a Baptist. I call myself a Baptist. I'm not ashamed of that name. But there's a reason I call myself a Baptist. I hold to certain things that Baptists have historically held to and uh, that I believe are biblical. Now, I'm going to give you... Uh, it's 8 o'clock. If you will give me just a few minutes, I'm not going to expound on these. I'm going to give them to you quickly. I'm going to give you some distinctives of the Baptist faith tonight because, again, uh, I want to, this is laying some foundation for next week when we start working on some other areas uh, of how to win some, uh, uh, share the gospel with some individual people. If we don't know what makes us different, we're going to have a hard time talking to them. So it's important that we know this, okay? So several things. This is easy for me to remember. I pulled it up on my phone because while I'm talking, I can't always go through my letters. This actually makes an acrostic. So if somewhere in your notes you want to put B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S, Baptists, plural, down the page, uh, I'm going to give you some distinctives. These are not all doctrines. Some of them are doctrines, but some of them are just simply distinctives, things we hold to that maybe are not foundational to our beliefs, but help to protect and, and our biblical things that we hold to that keep our doctrine secure. Number one, we believe that the Bible is our sole authority of faith and practice. The Bible is our sole authority. Any other group that teaches the Bible and the Pope, 
the Pope being the vicar of Christ. What he says is equal to Scripture. That is in error. Well, if the Bible and the Book of Mormon, the Bible and the New World Translation, the Bible and Kingdom Hall, you know, uh, no, the Bible. The Bible. And we're going to <coughs> spend time on these individually, give you the scripture for it. Uh, the book of Galatians says, Though we are an angel from heaven, speak any other gospel, bring any other gospel to you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. So we hold to the Bible as our sole authority of faith and practice. Number two, we believe in the autonomy of the local church. The autonomy of the local church. I believe that the Bible does use the term church occasionally as the collective body of believers that will one day be raptured by the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they're Baptist or Presbyterian or Lutheran. It doesn't matter as long as they have trusted Christ as their Savior, the whole body of believers worldwide. But most of the time in the New Testament, when it's dealing with the church specifically on specific issues, it's dealing with a local body of believers. Paul wrote letters not to the church as a whole. He wrote them to the Galatians, the people at Galatia. He wrote them to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, He wrote letters to a lot of these different churches that he started uh, all over the world. Because they were independent churches. They were autonomous churches. They were self-supported, self-governed. They did not answer to a hierarchy. What was their authority in their church? The Bible. Okay? All right, so we believe in the autonomy of the local church. Number two, we believe in the priesthood of each believer. We do not have to go to a man to reach God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the Bible says book of Hebrews, I believe it's chapter number 5. It says, let us therefore come to the throne of gra- boldly to the throne of grace. So we have direct access to God. Isn't it wonderful you can drive down the road in your car and you can talk to God? You don't have to go find the priest somewhere and go say, hey, I need to talk to God about this. They used to. In the Old Testament, they had to come through the priest, didn't they? But who's our high priest now? Jesus Christ. Because of his shed blood and because he's our high priest, we have direct access to God. He's our advocate with the Lord Jesus, with God the Father. All right, number uh, four, uh, we believe in two ordinances of the church. The Bible only gives us two of them that are ordinances. Uh, some churches add a third one, uh, foot washing, but we don't hold to that here, mainly because I don't like washing people's feet. <laughs> But uh, I don't believe that's an ordinance. I believe that Christ did that to, to teach a specific lesson of humility and servanthood to his disciples. But I don't believe it's an ordinance. There are two ordinances, though, that are given in Scripture. And those, namely, are the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion, but the Lord's Supper and baptism. So the two ordinances. By the way, let me say this about baptism. We believe in believers' baptism. Let's, let's specify that. Because you're going to see as we get into some church history and some things that we're going to be talking about over the next few months when we get into doctrine, that one of the great battles for faith over the years and one of the things that many millions of people have been put to death over is this issue of believer's baptism. You wouldn't think so, but it is a major issue throughout the church history. Um, I'll say a little bit more about that and then we'll go on. Uh, individual soul liberty. Individual soul liberty. 
I stand alone to give an account of what happens in my life to God. The only one I answer to. I have been liberated by the Lord Jesus Christ in my conscience of what God puts on my heart is the only thing I'm worried about. Do I worry about what Brother Keith thinks of me? Maybe I want to be his friend and I worry about that. But when it comes to my spiritual condition, it's I don't answer to Brother Keith for that or Brother Jim, Brother Ron. I answer to the Lord Jesus Christ for that. Okay? <clears throat> Individual soul liberty. Uh, saved church membership. We believe in a saved church membership. <clears throat> don't believe... The Bible is... A, uh, the word church is uh, a called out body of believers. Uh, <clears throat> and so when people have been saved and scripturally baptized... They can become members of our church. When I say scripturally baptized, uh, we would not recognize uh, sprinkling as an infant as scriptural baptism. And I'll explain why in just a moment. Okay, we believe in two offices that are given in scripture. Two distinct offices are pastor and deacon. Pastor and deacon. Those are the only two we find in scripture. You'll find the word bishop and elder also. Uh, those refer to specific roles that the pastor is responsible for. All right? So basically two offices, the pastor and deacon. And then lastly, we believe in the church separation of church and state. We don't believe that the government should have any right to dictate to us what we believe. One of the things that Baptists have been persecuted on for almost 2,000 years even before we were called Baptists, but there were a group of people that believed doctrinally the same way that we do, over the years, they were called by many different names, but there's been an unbroken line of them that have always been persecuted by the state church, but have never been the persecutors. They've never said, because you don't believe the way we do, we're going to put you to death. <laughs> we believe in separation of church and state. You have the right to believe as you see fit, because I have individual soul liberty. I have the right to believe as my conscience dictates. I'm only answerable to God. I'm not answerable to a church or to a pastor or to a presbytery. I'm answerable only to God. Okay? So because of that, we believe in separation of church and state. We don't believe there ought to be uh, an answering body that we personally have to answer to for our belief system. It does not mean that church cannot have influence in government. Our country is a prime example of that. We were founded on Christian principles. Amen? That, that history is quickly being erased from the history books and taught to our public school kids that that was not the case. But you cannot even... They're, they're erasing historical documents and archiving them to where the public does not have access to them anymore at unbelievable rates. Weekly, daily, they're doing this. Removing monuments that have references to Christian uh, beliefs and belief systems that founded our country all for the purpose of trying to get rid of the separation of church and state. So we've got to be careful of that. All right, let me just say one quick word about believer's baptism. We're going to spend a lot more time on it when we get to this area of our doctrine. But one of the great things that has been a huge issue, uh, are you all in a hurry to go? It's, what, eight minutes, ten minutes after eight. Can you all give me to 20 after eight? Is that okay? Is, does anybody have to? If you need to slip out, feel free. You're not going to hurt my feelings. We're going to deal with this later again, but it's 10 more minutes. If you can wait 10 more minutes, I'll, let me give you a couple things here real quick. 
Believer's baptism has been a major, major thing in, down through the church ages, literally to the point where they have put people to death for not bringing their babies to be sprinkled by the, by the state-recognized church. Even when people came to America, we came to gain religious liberty. You remember that? We want liberty. Give me liberty. Give me death. We want religious liberty. The, the first people to come over were pilgrims. Uh, ten years later, the Puritans come over. The pilgrims were separatists. They, they separated from the Church of England, said we don't want to be a part of it. The pilgrims were pu- or the pu- Puritans were uh, wanting to, uh, they were, they were pro- what became later known as the Protestants. They were protesting church. They weren't pulling out of it. They wanted to purify the church. That's how they got the name Puritan. And they wanted to purify the doctrine of the church. But when they came to America, those people came to get religious liberty, but they didn't come to give religious liberty. If they did, it, the, Pennsylvania uh, was founded, and if you didn't follow the state church doctrine, they would put you in jail, they would beat you, sometimes they would even put you to death for it. I've shared the story of Obadiah Holmes in, six, in the uh, uh, 1660s area, 1657 or so, somewhere in there, went over to Lynn, Massachusetts to minister to a man by the name of William Witter, and in Lynn, Massachusetts... They took this man who did nothing more than come across from Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island, to try to be a blessing to a man that was sick on his sick bed, and the magistrates put him in prison. And because he was not part of the licensed state church, they said you either pay a fine or you're to be well whipped. Obadiah Holmes refused to pay the fine. Said to pay the fine would be admitting guilt, and I've done nothing wrong. So he took the beating. They took him to the hitching post out in the public square, lashed his arms above his head, and laid 30 stripes on him. And as they took him down off the post, he said, You have beaten me as with roses. And people praised the Lord for that testimony. But while God helped him during that time of the beating, from historical records, I've learned that for the next several months, he had to lean on his elbows and his knees to get relief from the pain of the beating simply because he didn't adhere to the church, the state church. A man was there that later became the first president of Harvard, donated the first hundred acres to Harvard, that saw the beating of Obadiah Holmes. He thought, man, there's a man of conviction. And he began to read his Bible. All of his kids had been sprinkled as babies, and he came to the realization that the Bible did not teach infant baptism anywhere. In fact, infant baptism was something that came about from the Roman Catholic Church years ago, and I'll tell you why it became part of the Roman Catholic Church. They added to salvation the fact that in order to be saved, you had to be baptized. Baptismal regeneration is the term that's used for that. Because they believed in that, that you had to be baptized in order to be saved, Then, during the Dark Ages, you remember what the infant mortality rate was like? How many many kids were surviving? One out of three, maybe. Two out of three, maybe at the most. A lot of the infants were dying, and parents were saying, my kid went to hell because he wasn't baptized. So what did the church decide? When they're seven, eight days old, bring them to the church. We will sprinkle them, go ahead and baptize them so that they're saved as a baby. Can I tell you this? The Bible teaches that until a child reaches the age of accountability where he understands sin and he understands the idea of salvation and what God has done for him, they are innocent 
and they will go to heaven because of that. It is not until they get to the point where they've reached the age of accountability that God holds them accountable. But the church taught baptismal regeneration. Baptismal regeneration led to infant baptism. Infant baptism is doctrinally not there. You won't find it in Scripture. And here's the problem. If it ended there, we'd say, well, that's a bad thing. We disagree with them. Wait a minute. For 2,000 years, they have put together, uh, they've put to death millions of people for not adhering to infant baptism, baptismal regeneration. Take a moment to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, The Trail of Blood, and you'll see the groups that have been doctrinally sound that have paid the price because they held to what the Bible taught. Now, let me just say this, and we're going to be done. It's 15 after, so I've got five more minutes yet, if you'll bear with me. Let me just say this. If we do not know our beliefs and our doctrines, we do two things. Number one, we dishonor those that have held true to the doctrines of God's Word and have paid the price to protect the doctrine that we hold today, very dear to our hearts. Secondly, if we don't understand sound doctrine, we are susceptible to the false teachings. The Bible says that the devil is very cunning, and if it were possible, that the very elect would be deceived by him. If we don't understand our doctrine, I don't know how many times I've seen people that were raised and... and for years were in Baptist churches, churches that maybe didn't use the name Baptist but were doctrinally sound. There are some Bible churches out there. There are some brethren churches out there. There are some groups of Mennonites that are out there. There are other people that hold to doctrinally sound truths. And they've left those doctrinally sound truths to fall into these false religions and these cults. And I, I tell you, the danger is more real today than it's ever been because now we have people that say, I'm the same name as your church in the fact that I identify with your group. I use the same Bible. I believe the same thing on it. I believe in soul winning. Let's all get together and believe this doctrine, and it's not the right doctrine. So for the next several months in our church, we're going to be dealing with sound doctrine. It's not as fun preaching, but it is necessary. For me, it's fun preaching. It's not as fun to listen and learn because you have to apply your mind and watch and see what the Bible says about some things. Uh, but it's needful. Folks, it is so needful. So bear with us over the next few months. Uh, hopefully, we'll give you some great resources and great tools. And hopefully, we will help to build some sound doctrine in you that you will not be soon shaken. You can say, I believe this. And I don't believe it because my pastor said it. Amen? I believe it because what? God said it. Okay? That's what I'm interested in. I could care less if you believe what I say. I certainly care a lot. Do we believe what he said? So we're going to be working on that, okay? So bear with us. Hopefully invite some folks that, you, that might be helpful to. Uh, invite some of them to come, all right? Okay, let's stand and be dismissed. Thank you all for bearing with me. I know we went over. I apologize for that. Not too bad because, you know, if we were at a exciting ball game that we were into and it went into overtime, we wouldn't dare leave, not when it was that close.
So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us some things through it. Lord, thank you for giving it to us. Without it, we would not know all of these things. We would not understand things. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us over the several months that we'll be spending digging deeper into your word and trying to get to what I believe the Bible refers to as the meat of the word and not the milk, that you will allow us to be folks that are strong and mature and uh, Christians that will thrive and be nourished on the meat of your word as we develop and understand from your word and, and hold to the form of sound doctrine that uh, has always existed since you taught it and since you gave it to your apostles to write and pen through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Dismiss us with your blessings, we pray, and give us safety on the roads. In Jesus' name, amen.